Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. It's Thursday, January 26th, 2023. We are speaking just a short time after Mayor Eric Adams delivered his second State of the City address from Queens. Really, in a sense, somewhat his first State of the City address last year in 2022, his first year as mayor, he gave what was something of a State of the City, something of a 100 days in speech, uh, something of a vision for the future. But now he's been mayor for a little over a year and he's really had a chance to uh, dig into the job. And so uh, this was him reflecting on his first year as mayor and then also advancing an agenda for the future. Joining me in a moment to break it down and discuss more broadly how Mayor Adams is doing a little over one year into office and what to watch for in the mayor's year ahead is the great Errol Lewis, political anchor at Spectrum News and host of New York One's Inside City Hall. Errol is also a columnist at New York Magazine. In his 2023 State of the City speech, Mayor Adams portrayed the city as in very good shape and on the upswing while also facing several major challenges. He focused a lot on collaboration with others in government, especially Governor Kathy Hochul, who was in attendance. Very rare circumstance from what we've seen in the past, a, a very uh, refreshing break from some of the traditions of the de Blasio Cuomo years, of course. Mayor Adams' address was focused on what he called four pillars of jobs, safety, housing, and care. He outlined a very long list of proposals and promises. We won't be able to get into them all now, but we'll have coverage, of course, from Errol and his colleagues at New York One, and we will have a full write-up at Gotham Gazette, so you can check out all the details in those ways. And, of course, you can always read what the mayor's office itself puts out, but we'll get into some of the details and some of the big picture here. But some of his promises and plans included, but were not limited to trying to focus on crime and public safety related to a group of recidivists, equitable economic development, including increasing things like apprenticeship programs. He's looking to launch the, the country's largest curbside composting program over the next couple of years and some other climate-related matters. He talked a lot about this big focus on housing development, including some new initiatives around a planning process for rethinking zoning in Midtown Manhattan and on Staten Island's North Shore. He talked about electrifying uh, four hire vehicles, all four hire vehicles uh, in the city. He talked about providing free and comprehensive health care to New Yorkers and city homeless shelters and much more. All right, those are a few highlights. Joining me now to break it down is Errol Lewis of Spectrum News, New York One. Errol, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Great to be with you, Ben. Um, it was a very interesting speech and a very interesting a set of proposals. Uh, the, the speech itself, I thought, was um, substantive in a different kind of a way. You know, we're really starting to get a feel for where this administration is coming from. And before we get into it, I mean, uh, as far as we can tell over here, the presence of the governor at a state of the city speech is not just unusual, but perhaps literally unprecedented 
uh, going mm. back decades. We're we're trying to, you know, I mean, take out the 11 years of the Cuomo administration. He just wasn't going to do it. That's not Andrew Cuomo. But I don't think Patterson ever did it. I don't think Spitzer ever showed up at a state of the city address. I don't believe George Pataki ever showed. You know, I mean, you go all the way yeah. back. And this just doesn't seem to have happened before. And I don't know, you know, our understanding is that the governor came down from Kingston. She was in upstate mm-hmm. New York this morning. And, you know, this, it's not like she happened to be in Queens and felt like <laughs> dropping by. She she made a, a specific trip to be here. Um, it's it, it cries out for analysis, explanation, or at least notice. Uh, and we certainly did notice that. Yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what the history shows as as, as uh, folks on your end and lots of other places are probably trying to trying to figure that out. When I saw it on the governor's schedule last night, which they usually put out, you know, kind of late in the evening, it really made my, you know, my eyebrows jump. I mean, that was uh, uh, it, it's not it, you know, it's not something that's totally unexpected in this new era, but it's still pretty startling. And I think um, as the mayor then reflected in his remarks, which you know, I have to imagine we're, we're somewhat enhanced by the fact that the governor was going to be there. I don't think he would have mentioned her by name as many times as he did if she wasn't going to be sitting in the audience. But again, it just enhanced this sense of collaboration among them, which, again, I think, you know, virtually every New Yorker should should probably be pretty happy with. And it, it just really I mean, the contrast, again, now that we see at least this this sense of collaboration, the contrast to what we've we've had in the past is is really remarkable. And they have some big things to work on, right? I mean, that, you know, the housing, public safety, jobs, all of these big, big topics and themes are things that the city and state have to work together on, right? Well, listen, the 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 mayor had $212 billion to be, uh, $212 billion reasons <laughs> uh, to be happy that the governor was there, $212 billion being the size of last year's state budget. Uh, they're in the middle right now, or the early stages of negotiating this year's state budget, which has to be done by April, after which the city will figure out its allocation and start working on its budget. So, uh, yes, the, the, the mayor needs a lot of help from Albany. Um, and that's just in the normal course of business. There's some extraordinary challenges that are going to require even more help. Uh, and the mayor alluded to a lot of that in the speech today. So, yes, he was very um pleased that the governor was there. We should all be somewhat happy that at least there's some kind of uh, implied connection strong enough to have her break with tradition and actually show up at the speech. It would be uh, unusual if she then went back to Albany and said, we're going to slash the city's allocation of funding <laughs> right. by, you know, by 30 percent or something. So so we'll, we'll, we'll see where it all leads. But um, very, a very welcome sign that a different kind of negotiation than we're used to seeing is going to happen as the state puts its budget together. So um, other than the governor's presence and that sense of collaboration and and that effort by Mayor Adams to continue to to ensure that Governor Hochul is on his good side, although I'll say there are moments that are pretty notable where uh, sometimes he he says some things that I'm not sure the governor looks on favorably, but I I suppose that's going to happen with any mayor. Um, What else stood out to you from either sort of the broader themes of the mayor's speech or the way that he approached the speech or specific takeaways on announcements, policies? What were some of the biggest things you're thinking about here just an hour you know, after he gave this speech? My, my initial um, take, which I felt strongly even while the speech was being delivered, was that it was a very granular speech. This was not 
broad soaring visions of what the city could do or how the city could transform itself. You used to get a little bit of that from, from Bill de Blasio. You used to get a little of that from Mayor Bloomberg. This was not about transforming the city. This was about making the city run. So this was very granular about what to do with what he called COVID cabins, meaning those dining sheds, uh, talking about killing rats, talking about uh, composting and garbage pickups. I mean, that's that's as that's as basic to the operation of a city as it as you could possibly get. And here's the mayor actually talking about it. Not surprisingly, the mayor sidestepped a lot of the most pressing problems like the migrant crisis in all of its dimensions, like the problems with Rikers Island, which are severe and always growing, uh, like the problems in the housing authority, including the half, uh, close to half billion dollars in rent arrears that could probably sink the finances of that agency. There are some real serious problems. This wasn't the place for that. And so he, he sidestepped those, that's understandable. Uh, but he also didn't do things like what we heard in the State of the City speech, I believe it was his first one by Bill de Blasio, where he talked about decking over the Sunnyside Yards and you know mm-hmm. creating some whole new, basically, city within a city out in Western Queens. Um, you know, it, it, I think it might have been that same speech or, or, or maybe the following year where Mayor de Blasio talked about starting a new subway line running south uh, on the IRT line that currently terminates at Utica Avenue. Um, it, it never happened. You know, I think mm-hmm. they, may, they may have spent a little planning money to sort of uh, scope it out a little bit or to talk about some of what might be involved just to make sure it didn't completely fall off the, the schedule, but nobody really expected those things to happen. We didn't hear a lot of that from Eric Adams. I was waiting to hear him talk about something where you could sort of say, oh, great idea, but it'll probably never happen. Now, this was pretty... This was pretty close to reality uh, already. You know, you may have to knock a zero off one or two of these proposals, but he stuck to what mostly he stuck to what a mayor can actually do, as opposed to the things that you have to get a lot of help from the federal government, from the state government, from the city council. The mayor really put a lot of these proposals uh, he, he focused on what is clearly within his own powers. And that was a really striking aspect of the speech. You know, we didn't talk about any of this before we got on uh, online here to talk. And and I, I agree with you. It was really remarkable how sort of nuts and bolts and city operations it was. It was in some ways, again, I think that's that's pretty refreshing in that it does fit a theme for Eric Adams, which has been that obviously he's been focused on crime and public safety throughout his career from the NYPD through elected office, through the campaign in 2021, through the beginning of his mayoralty. But then beyond that, it's sort of he's talked so much about making government work better and delivering more and being more efficient and effective. And I think this just continued along that theme. I mean, the the driving force, he didn't use this term maybe more than once or twice, but, you know, just sort of quality of life uh, stuff for living in New York City, I think was was a really major theme here that was very interesting to hear hear him talk about. I did. It did strike me, though, that even though he he noted some of the significant challenges the city is facing, you know, continued issues with public safety, the asylum seeker crisis uh, and some others, this not that this wouldn't be unexpected, but it was a very positive sort of fairly rosy 
picture of where New York City's at, which is not always the way that Eric Adams talks. What did you make of sort of how he presented that? To me, there was a little bit of a contrast in the way he's often sort of framing things because I think he he can very often sort of be talking about the problems in a very stark way that that sometimes um, undersell some of the work that the city is actually doing on them. Yeah, well, look, it's a, it's always a, a balancing act between trying to motivate and mobilize the city by talking about a problem that he's going to commit some resources and attention to. Uh, the, the line is between doing that and going so far as to make people discouraged mm-hmm. or make people feel like the city's not under control or that the administration doesn't have answers that are going to work. So uh, I think he got the tone just right, to tell you the truth. I mean, the, the early parts of the speech were more about, you know, sort of the state of Eric Adams and the state of the administration, uh, but he broadened it out and talked about what they're going to do to help New Yorkers. And that's really, I think, what people wanted to hear. Uh, They want to hear what's going to happen in their schools. They want to hear about the garbage pickups. They want to hear about the composting, about the Vision Zero, about Mm. making sure that bikers and pedestrians are are going to be safe, making sure that there's a plan to deal with what the mayor calls the recidivists. He estimates there are 1,700 real drivers of violent crime. and he, frankly, he talked about them in a in a surprisingly harsh way. I mean, there's some things because he's an ex-cop, frankly, because he's African-American, he could talk about crime in ways that would probably um, startle people if they came out of the mouth of, frankly, a white politician. Mm-hmm. You know, when he says there are 1700 known offenders, he says we know who they are and we need to get them off our streets. That's a pretty harsh statement if you think about it. You know, I mean, even as he was saying it, I was thinking it's like if there's 1700 of them, we don't necessarily need to get them off our streets. We need them to stop committing crimes. I mean, mm. that's the way I think about it. Like, you know, mm. warn them, threaten them, frighten them if you have to. But uh, is the need to chase them down and what do jail them and imprison them? Is that the only response? That's a pretty that's a pretty tough approach to this. Um you know, there's, there's also the, you know, the subsidiary question of if we have 35,000 cops and 1700 offenders, why? And you know who they are. What's going on here? Like, why, why can't why can't you stop this from happening? Um, that, that, that's always a question when it comes to a police first or a police only response to, to public safety, which the mayor has been accused of. Um, you know, his critics say, like, look, you're, you're not going to jail your way out of the problems of the city. You have to have a, a nuanced approach. You have to have a data driven, fact based approach. You're not going to simply, you know, cl- clearly, if you can create the level of anxiety and frankly, the, the, the crime numbers, if it really is being generated by only 1700 people and you know who they are, um, uh, obviously, what we're doing isn't working. I mean, do, do, do we want to have 45,000 cops for that same 1,700 people? Do we need 55,000 cops to go after those same 1,700 people? Like, at some point, you have to really ask about the strategy. But uh, the mayor was being true to himself. He says that, you know, we can get on top of it. They're going to uh, go after those recidivists and get them off the streets, whatever that means. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see some, some peace dividends, some benefits from this. Well, and I suppose that's also where certainly coming out of this, there will be a good amount of attention on his push around 
additional changes for state bail laws, discovery, maybe it's not changes to the discovery law per se, but it's more funding to address backlogs and issues with uh, presenting cases and some of the nitty gritty there that, you know, he's he's pointing a finger at on some of these issues. But um, but, you know, that 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 preview sort of this this next piece of the intergovernmental relations where he's going to go to Albany. And, you know, we heard him uh, he praised on the governor, but I think he's got a lot more work to do on that front in terms of the relationships with the, the legislative leaders and, and who he did praise as well as partners in government. But, you know, he's got a lot more work to do with the legislature than it seems like he has to do with the governor in terms of those good relations and getting his uh, his agenda passed. He, he certainly has to talk with the legislature. Uh, he probably ought to be talking, frankly, with the court system. We just mm-hmm. went through uh, this very contentious fight, which is not yet completed over who the next chief judge of the state will be. We should keep in mind that the chief judge is not just uh, the the leading member of the Court of Appeals, the highest court in the state, uh, but that person is also the, the CEO, the lead administrator of a 15,000 member court system that stretches to every corner of the state. Uh, you know, And it's the administration of justice that the mayor pointed out today that has clogged up a lot of the system has led to a lot of cases being dismissed that probably mm-hmm. ought to be prosecuted. And in the mayor's words, has led to a problem with public safety. Uh, discovery reform is about for, you know, it's, it's a little jargony, but for your listeners, discovery reform simply means when a case begins, when the prosecutor has uh, an arrest and they've issued charges against someone, you have to give the defendant all of the information you have. You know, you, you go out and you do an investigation you are supposed to give that evidence over to them within very very specific timeframes. And if you don't get them that information, it's considered unfair. Um, And the penalty for it is that the case can get dismissed. That's very different in some ways, more serious than a bail reform question. Bail reform is about whether or not a money condition should be placed on whether or not somebody is in confinement or not pending trial. You blow bail reform or you get it wrong or you make a bad judgment. Okay, there's somebody out on the street who maybe you don't want on the street, but that person is still being prosecuted. With discovery reform, if you don't turn over all of your evidence in uh, a timely manner, the case can get dismissed. And then and then the whole thing is over. The person is not just free. The person is not being prosecuted. Uh, that that's that's pretty serious stuff. And to the extent that the mayor wants something to change there, yes, there's a funding question that probably needs to be resolved with the legislature and the governor. But there's also a matter of getting the court system the resources that they need and urging them to change some of their practices so that we don't have uh, the, the dismissals that the mayor says are leading to a problem with crime in New York City. Well, and I think that also that relates to two other things. One, I I also think that does relate, you know, very much to the bail reform conversation, which, you know, the governor herself before before this year's agenda, where she's now proposing the changes around, uh, you know, requiring judges to use the least restrictive standard because she says that's contradictory to some of the other changes they've they made in the past about um, when bail is applicable. she, you know, I thought raised a very good point last year, which she only said once or twice, which is that she had concerns about how bail reforms and then reforms to the reforms were actually being executed in the system by judges and that she wanted to take a closer look at that. And then she sort of dropped that discussion 
And that really does seem like a very important line of inquiry and, and you know, where the governor and the state legislature and others should seemingly take a closer look at, uh, you know, you get many of these cases that wind up in the news uh, that are that are discussed as bail related issues. And it turns out that judges had more discretion than they use if they wanted to hold somebody pretrial. So uh, I think I think there is a lot of inquiry there in terms of your point about how the court system is being administered and and whether it's resources and resources for also district attorney offices and, and so forth. But there, there's a lot, I think, in terms of um you know, not just sort of the letter of the law, but implementation and resources that that's worth discussing there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one of the, it's one of the big un, underreported stories, by the way. I mean, I, I talk with a lot of judges. Some of them are friends. Some of them are neighbors. Some of them are, are former colleagues. Uh, and at least one case, one used to be my lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. And you talk you talk to these judges and. You know, they, they if you look at the numbers, actually, research is going to eventually sort of prove this out, I believe. But uh, they are doing pretrial detention. They are ordering pretrial detention where they have the power to do so at pretty much the same rate now as they did before the bail reforms. You know, and, and to, to a certain extent, nothing has changed when when they wanted to hold somebody in the past. They would use the mechanism of bail. They would ask for more bail than the defendant could come up with. And that was a form of ordering pretrial detention. You know, somebody who can't raise five hundred dollars, you you thousand dollars bail, it might as well be five million, and and in they go. Uh, They're doing that pretty much at the same rate. They just have uh, changed the system in such a way that money is not the the tool by which they make that happen. Um, So yeah, there's a real need for a better discussion. The governor recognized that it cost her politically. Many she got pounded during the campaign just for saying so. Um, but the, the reality is we, we don't really know. I, I suspect, again, anecdotally, just from talking with a lot of judges, I suspect that what we're going to find is that the system has not really changed all that much. You can cherry pick and find a case here or there where uh, the general public would be appalled by a decision that a judge made that went went sideways. But that was happening in the past as well. And, you know, the, the question of, well, who's the judge? Well, you know, it's in their title. That's their job. It is, it <laughs> yes. is, it, it, yes. it is for them to judge. And, and you know, the, the, you're not a bad judge just because you fail to order detention for somebody who turned out to go out and do a bad thing. Uh, and you're not a good judge just because that never happens to you. You know, the, there, there are laws, there are rules, there are standards. And we should probably find out more from different judges about how they actually do their work on a day to day basis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this gets at something that we reported on Gotham Gazette, which is the state legislature has never had a bail reform focused hearing over this last number of years. I don't know if they ever have before bail reform, but at least since the bail reforms were passed, there's been no oversight hearing. There was there's no oversight hearing about implementation. Uh, these are things you know that could really use some very focused, substantive discussions, uh, ideally many of them in public. Um, the other thing, though, that going back to really the mayor's responsibilities here, the other thing that that discussion gets at is that uh, again, with regard to district attorney offices, even re- with regard to public defenders and the court system, the there's so many things in this agenda from the mayor and many, many things that almost nobody could have a problem with. Right. Lots of really good stuff for helping people find jobs and, and more Internet access. And I mean, you name it, there's many, many things in this agenda. But underpinning all of this is something the mayor didn't really talk about, which is an ongoing issue 
which is to execute all of these things, you need a really well-functioning and well-staffed city government. And he's dealing with a major crisis. Well, I don't know what you think. I don't know if you'd agree. I, I see it as a major crisis of these this issue of the reduced city workforce and all these ambitious mm-hmm. things that he wants to do. And I know the state of the city is probably not the time to really discuss this, but I was eager to hear, and I didn't hear anything from him to say, come work for New York City government. We have tens of thousands of openings, even though he's he's slicing some of the vacancies, there's still tens of thousands of openings in city government to help us execute some of these great ideas. And that's mm-hmm. where the rubber's going to meet the road here, right? Hey, listen, you're, you're being one of these pesky journalists that the mayor gets so angry at, uh, because here he is trying to have his state of the city speech and talk about how great things are and how well the administration's working. And here you are, Ben Max, suggesting that uh, the administration is also kind of watching the hollowing out of the city workforce in ways that will, in fact, um, have consequences that are felt by average New Yorkers, and perhaps even have consequences that will get in the way of some of the initiatives we heard laid out in the state of the city speech. So, for example, uh, this what he calls the moonshot of trying to get 500,000 uh, homes created in the next 10 years. Well, we've already heard that because of a lack of staffing at HPD, there's been a holdup or a dramatic slowing down of approvals for new affordable housing projects, not because the money isn't there, not because the developer isn't ready to go, but because the city's slowing down the process. There aren't enough people there to handle the paperwork. Uh, you know, you, you take that same problem and apply it across different agencies, uh, including the NYPD, by the way. And, you know, I, I mean, what happens to the cold cases, you know, what happens to the ability to investigate different crimes, including domestic violence? Uh, what happens to ACS if you don't have enough caseworkers out there to investigate uh, allegations of abuse and neglect? You're setting yourself up uh, for some kind of a tragedy somewhere down the road. And just like if you cut back on building inspectors, it doesn't look like there's a problem until five or 10 years later, you know, there's some horrible accident and a building collapses and you go and look at the record and it turns out the inspections weren't being done properly or not at all. So mm-hmm. um, that that's a problem. You know, you're also pointing out, I think, think something that is interesting that we did not hear in the speech, which is calling people to public service. Now the mayor did his own version of it. He called people to volunteer service, which is not exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of speculating what if eight plus million New Yorkers each donated or dedicated an hour uh, to volunteer to tutor a child or um, uh, help give food to the hungry or otherwise do outreach to, to people uh, who are having troubles in their life? Well, yeah, sure. Eight million volunteer hours. What couldn't you do? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, there's a little bit more to that. And we don't want to disrespect uh, the good men and women who do this professionally and who know what they're doing. You know, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't ask for 8 million New Yorkers to come in and try and do your podcast or mine. Right. Sure. I mean, like, uh, you know, at, at some point expertise has to play a role. Um, and uh, it's not just a matter of needing more hands to do a sort of a bucket per- brigade. This is specialized work. This is this is tricky work, you know, depending on the agency you're talking about. 
Um, it's, it is a question for the mayor. How do you maintain this if you're going to try and balance the budget through attrition, which is really one of his major fiscal tools at this point? What, um, were there any other proposals that are, that are forward looking that stood out to you? Anything else he mentioned, um, you know, that, that are particularly interesting that you, um, either think are really good ideas or you're just sort of eager to see how they're actually, how they actually go forward. Um, you know, if I was waiting for perhaps, um, a, a little bit more in terms of the vision around, he, he talked about, uh, sort of a rezoning of Midtown Manhattan. He talked about a master plan for the North shore of Staten Island. That was a theme I was interested in hearing where he was going to go on sort of big land use plans that coincided with his housing blueprint. Uh, he mentioned Willits Point that's underway, the Bronx Metro North stop rezonings that are underway. Um, so so that general category is particularly interesting to me. Um, anything else that stood out to you that he said? Like I said, we, we you know, there, there were dozens and dozens of things that he mentioned. Anything else stand out to you that you want to throw out there? Sure. I'll tell you one thing, one thing that, uh, well, there there were two things that stood out for me around um, traffic and how we manage our streets. The first is that he promised a crackdown on placard abuse and suspended licenses. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. That's all I can tell you. Um, Mayor after mayor, speaker after speaker have said that they're going to do something about the fact that, you know, every day on every shift at every precinct in the city, uh, cops, um, the, it's the most visible example of this. There are other city workers who do the same. They drive to work. They park on the sidewalk. They park in the crosswalks. They park in front of hydrants. They park completely illegally. Uh, and they don't have legal placards, but they don't. There's there's zero enforcement. Um, that's I, I just I mean, I if this this was brought to um, Eric Adams attention when he was Brooklyn Borough president. And he very specifically did not deal with the traffic mess that was created all around Borough Hall. Um, you know, given his connection to the NYPD, um, his need or his his desire to shore up the morale of the folks who work for the NYPD, I don't think he's going to take this, let's call it what it is, a stolen benefit, this benefit that so many city workers steal from the public every day. I don't think he's going to take that benefit away from them. I mean, you know, you don't you, in the back and forth between the workforce and management. If you're going to take something away from the workforce, you better have something ready to give them. And I don't know if that conversation is going to happen. So I'll believe that when I see it. But I'm glad he said the right thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be encouraging the levels of and I, I know you're familiar with this, Ben. I mean, it's not sure. it's not just a parking question, although that in itself uh, cost the last estimate I saw was uh, uh, upwards of $45 million per year. It's probably a lot ha- higher now. That's an old estimate. Uh, but a lot of the same scoff laws uh, put these illegal covers over their license plates or drive around with no license plates at all. Why? In order to frustrate the tolls. So people are traveling over the bridges. The rest of us are paying tolls and these lawbreakers are paying nothing and then driving to their city job, parking on the sidewalk, paying nothing, uh, things that the rest of us would, would get towed and fined for doing. It's it's a real problem. Anyway, so there's that. The, the, the other big one, though, and I, I, I we were talking about this in our newsroom because the wording really matters here. The mayor talked about 
he made it sound as if it was a city proposal to have Uber and Lyft go all electric by 2030. And I don't see how that's going to happen. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Uh, you know, he said that there'll be elect- 100,000 cars, which is, I guess, is the combined estimate for Uber and Lyft right now, that will be uh, emissions free by 2030. I assume emissions free means electric or all electric. And we don't have the charging infrastructure for that. Um, if I'm a lawyer for Uber or Lyft, I'm going straight to court and saying, forget it. You can't target our particular businesses. For one thing, there are other app-based ride-sharing companies like Via and Get, I think, is still around. Um, and for another, the, the, where's the parity? Why isn't this being imposed on yellow taxis, for example, mm-hmm. um, or non-ride-sharing companies like Dial 7? Um, so I, I don't, I, I, you know, just legally, it just struck me as kind of a dead end. Logistically, it's, it's, it seems very, very ambitious. And then in a technical sense, just the way the mayor described it, he said, we're going to require, require sounds like a mandate. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, where would he get the authority to require this? And he said, Uber and Lyft uh, basically are okay with it. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I, I want to see them. I want to hear what they have to say. That, that would be my next phone call if I'm a reporter. Hey, are you guys okay with this? You know, and then, of course, it gets even deeper because Uber and Lyft will say like, hey, listen, we don't own the cars. The drivers own the cars. Well, he, right? and he said in his remarks, it could be achieved. It will be achieved with no new costs for individual drivers. And that's the thing that that, that made yeah, me scratch yeah. my head further on that one is, OK, by 2030, Let's let's see the details of this plan that that needs to be coming yeah, yeah, soon. Yeah. That's going to really if that's yeah, so really your 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 friendly driver is going to go from driving a you know a, a thirty five thousand dollar you know Toyota Camry to driving like a sixty five thousand dollar Tesla. Who's going to pay for that? Who's going to lend them the money to pay for that? Yeah, <laughs> you know. So so but, I I I got, yeah. I got questions about that one. But, <laughs> both the things you're getting at though. Um, do tie in with this larger theme of uh, that he talked about, about improved public space, about uh, climate related action, about uh, appointing this director of the public realm that was part of the Hochul Adams plan that came out of this task force they had impaneled about the future of the city, uh, open restaurants, open streets. A lot of these things that I thought were were pretty interesting planks about sort of the future of how just the livability of the city. And of course, that also goes and relates to public safety and it relates to rats and it relates to other things. But I thought that that was a pretty interesting focus that he had about sort of the use of public space, uh, more more green space, uh, zero emission vehicles, you know, a lot of this stuff about, you know, just sort of how the air we breathe and the way we get around the city and who's going to help coordinate, you know, what the public spaces look like. I thought that was a pretty interesting theme there. Let me let you go in just two more minutes here. Er- Errol Lewis, uh, our last couple of minutes with, with Errol, who's a political anchor, of course, at Spectrum News, New York One, host of Inside City Hall, host of the You Decide podcast and a columnist at New York Magazine. I was uh, struck by the zero mentions of Rikers Island. Um, you know, I feel like we got to just take a minute on this, Errol, because there's people dying uh, regularly in the city's care in the jails. The mayor has questioned the timeline and the plan for closing Rikers Island. We don't know exactly what he's going to try to do about that as these new jails are in the process of design and and construction. 
Um, but there was no mention in the speech of of anything related to Rikers other than this idea that he wants to lock up more people that, as you mentioned, who are the the recidivists that he spoke about. Um, what did you make of, of that omission? And, you know, maybe it's just such a thorny issue that he was trying to, you know, keep the speech more more positive. But I thought that that was a pretty glaring omission among a couple other things that he didn't bring up. But that was probably the biggest one to my ear. Well, look, mayors of New York, not just this mayor, but mayors of New York generally, uh, Democratic and Republican, do not talk about Rikers Island. It's like a don't ask, don't tell uh, kind of a policy that frankly reflects the general approach that I think most New Yorkers have toward the, 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 the jailing of people pending trial. Put it in an island in the middle of the city and let's just not talk about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, there are there are past commissioners uh, who have said on the record, I think it was either Jacobson or Horn, one of these commissioners who said that they never heard from the mayor, that they had one meeting of them. Mike Jacobson in this this new book about Rikers Island said that he was told to come down to City Hall. He didn't even realize he was being appointed commissioner. <laughs> had come down for a press conference and then Giuliani stepped up and said, you're in charge of Rikers Island. And that's how we found out he was the corrections commissioner. Oh, wow. Uh, M- Marty Horn, I think in the many years that he was the commissioner under Mike Bloomberg, said he thinks I think he heard from the mayor once. And that was because as corrections commissioner in charge of Rikers Island, when there were questions about bird strikes at nearby LaGuardia Airport being dangerous, uh, the corrections commissioner, I think, said publicly, well, we're going to figure out a way to kill some of the birds that are hanging around. Uh, Rikers Island, and he got a call from the mayor, like, what are you talking about with killing birds? You know, but <laughs> but yeah. by and large, remember when Bill de Blasio first became mayor? He said after, I think, eight years of the city council and, and four years as public advocate, he had never visited public, he had never visited Rikers Island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, no, nobody wants to touch this. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. You know, we worriers, we journalists and worriers, uh, we had the highest number of deaths in detention last year at it, than at any time in the last 25 years. It is a serious problem. Uh, there's a good chance, there's a better than even chance, I should say, that uh, control of the system could be taken away from the city of New York by the federal government. There's a federal monitor that has issued one dire sounding report after another. There's a federal judge, Judge uh, Laura Swain, uh, who has issued some statements suggesting that she's not going to be unlimited in her patience for uh, waiting for a a decent turnaround plan. Everybody's waiting to hear what's going to happen. The mayor didn't talk about it today. Uh, The mayor has a big problem, and we will have to continue to ask him what what the plan is for Rikers Island. I mean, the the short-term plan, to the extent you can glean anything out of today's speech, is that they want to send more people there. These 1,700 recidivists, he said, get them off the streets. Well, what does that mean? That means send them to this island, Um, you know, that has been, I think, accurately described as a factory of despair, Um, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know what the mayor has in mind, but I'm sure like all of his predecessors, his recent predecessors, the last five mayors at least, he'd rather not talk about it. Yeah. 
Well, we'll of course both be uh, following up on that as our as will our our organizations. I won't I won't keep you any longer here, but I also noticed you know we just did a story on this that the mayor hasn't really done anything on property tax reform in his first year, and so I was I was eagerly awaiting any word on that. that, that. <laughs> you didn't really you didn't really expect that, did you? Come on, <laughs> no, but I know that's on. an issue, of course, close to your that is mind that as well, is the so. third rail. That yeah. is a third yeah. rail, and I'm I'm on the good side of that third as a homeowner who gets charged almost nothing in the way of property taxes because I live in a what you know used to be a, a very rundown neighborhood so they froze the taxes at a very low rate mm-hmm. and nothing seems to change that year to year but um you know that's 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 long overdue yeah you know yeah. when when I when I remember asking Bill de Blasio about that and I think he, they they smiled and said that's going to be a high priority for our second term. Right. And then then he impaneled a commission that took its time and uh, then then the pandemic and he released recommendations about five minutes before walking out the door. There you go. Yeah. Well, listen, lots more to talk about down the line. Errol, thanks for joining me. Errol Lewis, of course, is political anchor at Spectrum News, New York One, host of Inside City Hall, host of the You Decide podcast, where I've been honored to be a guest before myself. So thanks for joining me here, Errol. Uh, And Errol, of course, also writes at New York Magazine. Errol, uh, we'll be watching Inside City Hall for more of your analysis on the state of the city. And uh, thanks for taking the time. All right. Thank you, Ben. And as we say goodbye to Errol Lewis, just a quick reminder to check out other recent episodes of the show. You can find any and all of them at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts. And we have them all at the Gotham Gazette site. And of course, also at GothamGazette.com, you can find all of our recent reporting on New York State and city politics. Here on the show, recent guests have also included several perspectives on the battle over the next chief judge of New York and Governor Hochul's nomination of Judge Hector Lasalle to the position. I've had a few different guests on to talk about this from different perspectives, including State Senator Jessica Ramos, who was on the Judiciary Committee that voted down Lasalle's nomination, uh, but also other guests who've been working on uh, either supporting Lasalle's nomination or opposing it and other visions for the future of the New York top court, the Court of Appeals, and the court system. In addition to those three recent episodes, I've also had on the show recently guests including State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a really interesting conversation there that you should find if you haven't heard it yet. Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso about his vision for his job as borough president. He's just a little over one year into the position and the future of Brooklyn. Queensboro President Donovan Richards was on the show in late December, talking with him about his vision for Queens and what he's accomplished so far as borough president, and a whole bunch of other really interesting conversations, housing experts, uh, officials involved in drafting New York State's new climate action scoping plan. I had on uh, Congressman Dan Goldman, who recently took office in the House of Representatives, uh, representing District 10, the newly created district that spans lower Manhattan and Brooklyn, talked with him just before he entered Congress about his priorities for once he took office in the Democratic minority in the House, and a whole bunch of other great guests. Find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, or at the Gotham Gazette website. This has been Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for listening here. Really appreciate Errol Lewis joining me to discuss Mayor Adams's 
state of the city address, and much more. Stay tuned for further discussions here on Max Politics. Thanks very much for listening.